Welcome to On Living, the Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Hello, dear everyone. This is Leanne Nguyen welcoming you to the hour that I am devoting to us, us humans. You know, this hour um, on Voice America is a little bubble of self-indulgence that I permit myself, Uh, a little bubble where I get to create uh, for one hour and live for one hour um, in the kind of world that I wish to live in, the kind of world where I can invite you to be human with me, where I get to think and connect with another human being, my guest often, who is generous and rich and fearless in a way. Because let me just remind you that in an age where nobody has time for anyone, where everybody with a device and a social media account thinks that she has lots to say, but is actually so scared of really making contact. An age where we all have a profile online somewhere and are supposedly so connected, and yet we often feel so invisible and insulated from one another and from one another's flesh and blood reality. An age where we refuse to delve into the mystery and flawed beauty of the person that sits next to us or across from us. So in such an age, it is a mark of generosity and richness for my guests to agree to let me make contact with them every week for one hour, to be with them fully for one full hour is quite something. And it's quite something for you to join in. And I, I want to acknowledge your curiosity, the, the generosity of your curiosity and the fearlessness of it also. Because you know by now that I do not offer answers on this show. I do not offer recipes for success or easy to consume, feel good tidbits. You know by now that my intention is to raise questions, to invite you to look at humanity, at your humanity, to wonder about the things that make you human, so as to question how you are living it out, so as to urge you to be conscious and ambitious and tender about how you are cherishing, cultivating, expressing your humanity. Now, I don't have the final full list of the things that make us human, and I do not know what it takes, but I do know that this thing called being human is, is, is hard and it's under assault uh, because I hear that constantly, you know, in my clinical practice. These days I hear much about feeling dehumanized, disconnected. Um, and I see that it's under assault from seeing how little we are encouraged in, in, cult, in the culture and society that we're living in, how little we're encouraged to consider each other's humanity. Because what I mean by this is, I would like for you to take a moment to take stock of where, for example, we as a society allocate our resources. 
Think about how big the defense budget is compared to the budget for education, for the arts, for example. Think about which industry is booming right now, garnering billions of dollars in profit. It's pharmaceuticals and the corrections construction. We are building prisons while closing down libraries. We look for ways to lock people up and keep them behind walls, rather than devoting our amazing resources to figuring out how to free people up from fear and helping them tap into their potential. We look for ways to eliminate, to medicate, to numb out pain instead of devising ways to support each other in the capacity to bear pain, to learn from life's wounding, Look for ways to let the light enter the wounds, as the prophet Turumi said centuries ago. Look for ways to capture how the beauty of the world shines off the broken shards of our human existence. Look at what we teach our children in school. I want you to think for a moment about the curriculum, for example, and note that there is nothing on civic duty, on ethics, and often in most schools these days, nothing on arts. And I want you to take a moment to reflect not just on what we teach or do not teach our children, but also on how we teach our children. And ask ourselves, how does this help prepare our children to be human beings? Not to be literate or successful or ready for college, but human beings. I want you to reflect on what you strive for or what you're concerned about in your life. To have more money, to be more powerful, to have more success, to live longer, to find love, to keep love. We're so conditioned to want to acquire and to fear. Fear of not having enough, of losing, of not being enough, of not being the right person, of not having the right life, of not having the right job, so on and so forth. And so, caught up in this, we forget the task and the gift of being who we are, the task and the gift of being alive, of existing on this earth as humans. We're caught up in this fear and greed and distraction, and then we forget what we are, and we forget how to be beautiful, how to love, how to be kind, how to be tender toward one another toward ourselves. And I have spoken many times on this show about what I mean specifically, deeply about kindness and tenderness. Now, how do we support one another in that endeavor? How do we remind ourselves of the task and the gift that inhere in being human, in being alive as human being, not just as mere mammals? So I have moved from the question of what makes us human to the question of how do we find the resources, the support toward being human. As always, I don't have the answer to give you, but I aim to urge you, to convince you, to think about the question, to look for your own answer. Look at yourself, at your life, and ask yourself, what makes me human? Look at what you reach for in your living and ask yourself, how does it help me be human? So today, for the conversation for this week, today, I have the great fortune of having Sir Clive Gillenson join me in support of this question. Sir Clive has been the executive and artistic director of Carnegie Hall for over a decade. 
um, he was and still is a celebrated cellist when he's not running the place. Now, you know, uh, I'm stammering a little bit here because protocol dictates that I should have a long introduction, you know, for those of you who don't know him. I should give you a recitation of his accomplishments uh, and credentials and blah, blah, blah to orient you to his place in this world. The problem is that I'm not good at that (laughs) and that it will take up too much time, time that I would rather uh, spend talking to him. And, you know, I always firmly believe that the achievement, the humanity, the stature of whoever is speaking shall be all too obvious to you all who listen as that, as that person speaks to me. So find out for yourself who he is. Now, I reached out to Sir Clive because he has dedicated his life to music and because he has built his work first at the London Symphony Orchestra and then at Carnegie Hall, around his deep belief that the arts should be central uh, in society and should be accessible to everyone. So I believe that, that this faith, his faith, in the value of the arts speaks something of his humanity and offers us a resource in terms of how we can hold on to and, and, and honor and find our humanity. So welcome, Sir Clive. I'm very happy to have the chance to talk to you about the arts, about your life, about your work. Well, Leanne, thank you very much for inviting me onto your show. You know, I, I'm just going to want to follow up on what I said and ask you this very broad question, but I, I, I hope that it's dear to your heart. You know, what to you is the function of the arts or specifically of music in our um, human society? Well, for me, the arts really bring us a lot on lots of different levels. I mean, initially, of course, I mean, when you engage with music, it's important that it should be exhilarating, inspiring, um, profound. I mean, create an experience that is an extraordinary experience of the moment. Um, mm-hmm. But in addition, there are so many other things that the arts do that actually can contribute to people's lives. Because in the end, the arts explore, um, you know, all sorts of questions about what is our humanity? What is it that we believe in, that we feel, that we care about? You know, what are our passions? Um, you know, but also, again, I mean, really touching on something you raised earlier when you were speaking, to me, a fundamental is that questions are more important than answers. I mean, that's one of the, the tenets of my philosophy about life. And, and I think the arts do help us to ask questions as well. I mean, certainly in terms of the way when we're teaching music and engaging with kids um, through music. I mean, what we're trying to do is engage with their creativity, engage with enabling them to ask questions, to explore, to become explorers. And uh, I mean, just to give you an example, um, one of the things we've instituted since I arrived here at Carnegie Hall 13 years ago is is massive national and international festivals where we, we explore, you know, what we think are really compelling interesting topical questions. Um, Mm -hmm. It can be around countries. I mean, we've looked at China, Japan, um, South Africa, Latin America, the Venetian Republic, but we also 
um, raise questions um, around other issues. So, for instance, we've done a big project around African-American music, around Leonard Bernstein, and we did a big project around the 60s, looking at the fact that the 60s was when everybody really started engaging with some of the key social issues of our time. So it was the Civil Rights Act, the women's rights, gay rights, I mean, all sorts of um, legislation around conservation and so on. And, and looking at the lens we were looking at was, these are all issues that were raised in the 60s. Have, it's, just because they were, they haven't actually been solved. They're still things that lie at the center of what America has to grapple with. But obviously, mm -hmm. huge strides have been taken. So we're all the time with what we're doing, not only trying to create extraordinary experiences, um, but actually encourage people to explore, become explorers, become lifelong learners, um, begin to ask questions, um, you know, in a way that they will continue to ask questions all their life. And mm -hmm. so we see, for instance, those big festivals as only the beginning of a journey, not the end of a journey. I mean, what we hope is that when people uh, participate in a big festival next year, we're looking at migrations and the three big migrations that we feel had a huge impact on American culture, particularly music. Um, but there mm -hmm. are endless migrations that had that impact. Um, you know, we work every time with our festivals with institutions across the city, with dance and theater and film and literature, so that people explore outside the areas of, the, you know, what you might call their comfort zone and, mm -hmm. and begin to travel, um, you know, into completely different genres. So there are so many dimensions of what music can do, and that's only really the beginning, what I've outlined mm -hmm. here. Yeah. So I love what you said about also seeking to raise questions, you know, through the arts, because it made me think about these rare but wonderful moments, for example, when you plunk a kid down in front of a painting or, you know, make them listen to a piece of music. And most of the time they just said, you know, it's boring. <laughs> but the few rare times, you know, you have one kid who say, what does it mean? You know, so that's just really, really amazing, right? That's the beginning. What does it mean? What is he trying to say, right? Um, and, and so I, I want to know, what is the question that you wish right now in your work? What is the question that you wish for the audience, for, for, for the public to ask ourselves? There isn't a question. Um, you know, there's never a question. I mean, there's, there's lots and lots of questions. And I think what's most important um, is stimulating curiosity so that people ask questions. But the questions mm -hmm. they ask should be the questions that are meaningful for them, not, not what matters to us. I mean, we're not trying to suggest um, that anybody should be asking any specific question, um, but simply that they should be curious, engaged, and uh, and really, you know, growing through engagement with music and with the arts and finding out more about themselves, um, engaging more with the world, engaging with other people, mm -hmm. sharing experiences, because there's mm -hmm. nothing more inspiring than, you know, being at a concert, because the fact is you can sit and listen to that same piece of music in your own home, um, and, you know, you can love it and you can engage with it, but the experience of sitting with nearly 3,000 other people in Carnegie Hall, right. sharing that experience and talking to people afterwards and, you know, being part of shared experience um, and growth is, is quite different. And yes. so, you know, it's why we believe live music is so important. 
um, because it actually, the experience in the concert hall and the way performers feel, you know, mm-hmm. in the concert hall where there's an audience is quite different than sitting in a studio um, just simply recording the music without inter- interacting with anybody right. at all. Um, right. So the performance is different because of the audience as well. So shared experience is something very meaningful. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. You know, I often say it, it, that it, sort of this is why people go to church. It's different, you know, when you pray in church than when you're in your bedroom. <laughs> you know, So it's the same thing. You're talking about that communal experience It's something that that shifts our molecules when we are doing it with other people. But, you know, you didn't really give me the answer. I really want to know the questions that you wish for. <laughs> so before we break, may I give it one more push? Let me try this to frame it this way. Share with me, share with us the questions that you, Sir Clive, personally sought to uh, to answer for yourself through music. May I do that? And as you, <laughs> okay, as you ponder, let us go on a break uh, for a couple of minutes, and we'll come back with the with the question. All right. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. 
All right, welcome back. I'm here with uh, Sir Clive Gillinson. And before we uh, went on the break, I asked him the question about what were the questions that he has spent his, his life, his work, his art making trying to answer. So can you share some with us? Well, firstly, if I think about the questions we always ask here at Carnegie Hall, uh, you know, compared with, you know, what I think are the questions most people ask at other arts institutions, mostly when I talk to other people, they're saying, what can we do to make our institution greater? What can we do to bring in young people? What can we do? You know, but it's always various questions which tend to relate to the institution. My view is that's not the right question. Um, the only question we should ever be asking is, what can we do that is going to ensure we contribute to other people's lives and transform other mm. people's lives? Um, and if we can find the answers around that question, then mm. we're beginning to do something that actually really matters about Carnegie Hall, because we're not here to serve the institution. The institution is here to serve people. So... Uh, you know, that is, for me, the fundamental that lies at the core of of our own existence and our own purpose and why why we have a right to be here um, mm. at this institution. And, and so that can manifest itself in a thousand different ways. I mean, if you're talking about, um, you know, our performances, I mean, we're, you know, what we're trying to do is, is get people to engage with music that will create a transformative experience that will make them feel different about life, that will inspire them, exhilarate them, where they'll walk out, you know, in one way or another. I mean, it may be something depressing. It may be something inc- unbelievably inspiring. Um, but, but things that are depressing and disturbing can be just as important as things that are exhilarating. Um, but we're wanting to engage them in that way. But if you think about the work we're doing with kids, what we're saying is how do we help each child working in our musical programs, um, in our music education programs, how do we nurture their curiosity? How do we find their individuality? How do we help each of them find who they are and what they are? So those are the questions we're asking when we're looking at that. When we're working in prisons, um, we're asking very similar questions, which is, you know, here are people who live in a tiny enclosed box um, all their life and who have an incredible struggle to have an identity at all and mm-hmm. to have a sense of self-worth and, and you know, of what is it they might be able to contribute to, to humanity. And we're trying to work with them to engage their creativity, engage their individuality in such a way that they find themselves as human beings and see what they can contribute um, to life, you know, because there's a sense, I'm sure, for all of them, um, Mm -hmm. that they have nothing to contribute. So how do we engage with them so that in the end we find a humanity in them and they're going to come out and they're going to live lives which actually are engaging with other people. Um, But at the heart of it all lies the fact that if I think back over my own life, and I think that, you know, in my early days, I mean, certainly way into my 20s, I was incredibly shy. I found it very, very difficult to engage with other people. Um, you know, I read a vast amount, but because that was easier than actually relating to people. Um, <laughs> but the, the minute I found my own, you know, in a sense, my own purpose in life um, was when I went into management because 
all of a sudden, all the things that I was thinking about were actually about other people. When you're training as a musician, there's a danger that it becomes about you. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't. I mean, no, music should never be about you. Um, but actually, far too often, if you talk to music students, if you talk to people who are engaged in something re- which requires unbelievable dedication and commitment, they can become obsessively about themselves. And to me, very often that is actually the path to unhappiness rather than happiness. And the, fa- the way I've found happiness is by being involved in things that contribute to the lives of others. In the end, that's the fundamental thing to me. And that certainly is what has changed my life. It's the way through which I've actually found myself and found the things that that matter. So, you know, whereas if you're chasing things that are all about my success, my money, my profile, um, you know, all the things that are about personal um, you know, grandismant in some form or another. I personally, I think that's that is always a false trail, um, mm-hmm. and that the only trail that's meaningful is when you're changing other people's lives for the better. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Amen to that. You know, I do want to emphasize something uh, to go back to what you said earlier. You said that uh, about Carnegie Hall that um, it's not you're not there to make the institution great you know but to, to to find a way to contribute to people's lives i would say though that you make the institution great by turning it into a vehicle a venue where people people's lives can be fuller and and i hear what you're saying about the life's lesson which is that one becomes great by serving <laughs> did i capture it right no, I don't think one becomes great. I don't think the objective should ever be being great. I'm not interested in me being great or the institution being great or anything. I mean, I'm just interested in the institution doing the best possible things to create extraordinary experiences mm-hmm. that transform lives um, in the way that I've been talking about. But that's not about seeking to be great. I think that as an objective is, is completely No, it's irrelevant. a bonus. I'm talking about it as, as a, a natural derivative of the engagement. I think you're right. That, I mean, if you actually do things that are transformative of lives and really does change yes. people's lives, I mean, my view always is then Carnegie Hall will be fine. I mean, it will be, a, it will be an important institution, but my objective is never to make Carnegie Hall great. I don't think that's of any relevance. I think the only thing that's of relevance is what it contributes. Does the board of directors know that you think this way, <laughs> that you're yes. not there to make honey oil? <laughs> All right, no, well, well, to them then. <laughs> Well, look, I think everything in life, everything important in life is oblique. So, you know, my view is if you seek fame, you're unlikely to get fame. I mean, you think of all the greatest writers, the greatest painters, the greatest um, performers. It's been their dedication to doing something extraordinary and special. If they were actually trying to be famous, they'd take a different path and they probably would not become famous. They'd become famous Mm -hmm. because they've dedicated themselves to something that truly matters. Um, So, you know, which is why I think everything tends to be oblique. And in the same way, I think, yes, I mean, absolutely. If we're successful in our objective, which is for Carnegie Hall to transform lives in a really significant way, you know, along the lines that I've been talking about in all the different dimensions I've been talking about, then yes, I mean, it probably will be seen as a great institution. But if that becomes our purpose, um, then we will do, we'll make completely different decisions and we Mm -hmm. won't be a great institution. 
Mm-hmm. You start second guessing yourself, for example, or cheapening yourself. Well, you're you're actually going thing for things that are about you, yeah, whether mm-hmm. it's you institutionally or you personally, and you is never very important. I don't think. Mm-hmm. You know what you are saying. I think so much goes against what is currently right in our culture. What is currently being pursued and and taught. Um, in in terms of just just doing it for, how did you say that? Um, just for the love of it and doing it because it matters, not because it would purchase you fame. That's not exactly. something that is being taught often. Have you noticed? Um, what do you think about the current generation of musicians then? Well, let me first go back because I didn't. I, you know, I sort of got halfway to answering your question about what does the board think about this, um, and the simple answer is that when I arrived, um, I mean, I think as a philosophy, that was not the philosophy. Um, but what is interesting always about company culture is that if it works and it's demonstrated, um, you know, good culture as well as bad culture are self-perpetuating. In the end, you attract the people who believe in who you are and what you are. So you know, if you've got a bad culture and it's a really unpleasant, self-seeking, everything else organization, you're going to attract people to be involved who are that sort of person. Equally, if it's a culture that's all about contributing to the lives of others, as we now are, those are the people you attract to the board. So I'd say mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is now we have okay. a board that believes pas- passionately in this, and that's why they joined, um, okay. and it's why they're involved. So, you know, it has become part of who we are, and that becomes part of who we are in terms of the board, but it also becomes part of who we are as, as regards the employees and the people who want to work here. Because if that is our philosophy, those are the sort of people who are attracted to working here. So, so you know, that's, I think, the answer to the quest- your question earlier about um, what does the board think of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, that is why they're here, and they believe in it, and they're partners in that, and they have to be. I mean, if they didn't believe in it, either I'd have to go, or they'd have to go. I mean, you know, <laughs> right. we wouldn't be able to work together. That um, is true, but, yeah. You know, but for me, you know, therefore, you know, that comes down to what I think is the most important single thing in life, which is values, and and that is... You know, it's it's the, for me the most important thing in terms of what I taught to my kids or felt, you know, one tries to teach to one's kids. It's what underpins everything you do as an organization um, and contrib- contributing to the lives of others, obviously, is a fundamental value um, of who we are. But, but as is trying to do everything in the best conceivable way. I mean, everything has to be the best it can be. It's no, you can't contribute in a way that's meaningful if you're, if you're doing mediocre things. So things, everything has to be special. Everything, you shouldn't do anything unless it's remarkable. And, you know, that, all these things, I mean, all the, there's a whole plethora of things that really underpin our values. And, and to me, that is what an organization and every individual human being has to be really clear about. What are their values and what is it that they exist for in that way? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that brings me to the question that what do you see as the current value that is um, absorbing the, this generation of musicians, of artists? Well, one of the things I find truly inspiring is how many young musicians 
want to contribute to other people's lives and contribute to society through their music. If I think back to when I was a student, most people were pretty self-absorbed. And, you know, lots and lots, as I say, lots and lots of musicians and artists of every sort are self-absorbed. I mean, as, as George Bernard Shaw said, you know, um, any artist would be perfectly happy to have their mother slave cleaning floors and doing God knows what, um, you know, as long as they can be an artist. You know, so there's something intrinsically very selfish about being an artist and very self-absorbed about it. But the fact is... You know, I mean, what I love is that so many young artists now are thinking beyond self-satisfaction, beyond success, and thinking, you know, I want to do something that actually affects other people's lives. And that's why, for instance, with the fellowship program we created called Ensemble Connect, we're training Mm -hmm. a generation of young musicians, not only to be the best players they can be, but to, to learn the skills so they can contribute um, you know, doing work with prisons, doing work with schools and ki- um, kids, um, you know, learning a whole group of skills that will enable them, that'll enable them to have portfolio careers really contributing to the lives of other people. So, I mean, the short answer is I think we've actually got a very, very uh, inspiring group of young musicians coming up now. And I don't mean every one of them, but there's a remarkable number who really do want something out of life that is much more about what they contribute than is sim- than being simply about their own personal success. Mm-hmm. So truly ambitious in a true well, sense. Ambitious, am- ambitious to contribute, not ambitious mm-hmm. to, you know, it's about me, me, me. I mean, I right. think the, and uh, frankly, the only time you become a great artist is when it's not about you. And, you know, and, and I think that's often a dividing line between great artists and, you know, people who can be fantastic performers. Mm-hmm. But if it becomes mm-hmm. about them, then yeah. they really haven't, uh, you know, they haven't reached where they need to be going. Right. I I hope that the people who listen uh, will go back and listen again to what you said about uh, how to engage in, in art, because I think that it can apply to how to live as well. You know, the notion of having following your value and engaging authentically and fully and trying to be as authentic and, and, and to be your best. I think that that applies to to just um, to the business of living not just to, uh, to, to, to the arts or to music. Um, so I, I want to, then it led me to this other question about the, the making of a musician, you know, and the parallels that that might then bear on the making of a person, you know, on how to become, how to, how to live, and the parallels, you know, between that and, and how to um, training yourself to be a musician. Um, So I'm going to leave you with that, Clive, as we go on break. And uh, when we get back, we'll engage in that question of making arts and living. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. 
At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Clive, what, let me start with part A of the question. What does it take to become a musician? What does the training involve? Well, firstly, I think you, you know, unless you have a passion for music, you're never going to be a a terrific musician. Uh, You have to have the passion, dedication, discipline. You have to have talent. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the, um, I forgot what it's called, the book that talked all about the 5,000 or the 10,000 hours or whatever it is in order to become (laughs) superb at something. To me, that was all rubbish because without the talent, you can work for 10,000 hours and you still won't be much good. Um, mm-hmm. If I'd worked for 10,000 hours on becoming a pianist, I still wouldn't have been much of a pianist. Um, so, um, <laughs> Sir yeah, Clive, I, you're not American, are you? <laughs> you don't believe in that thing where there's a, a will, there's a way. Anybody can be as great as you want. Okay, never mind. That no, was like nobody a little... Can be, nobody can be great at something without talent as well. And, you know, you have to have talent, but there's lots of talents. I mean, part of talent can be dedication. It can be being able to being knowing how to work at something. I mean, you know, when I think back to when I was a student, I didn't practice very well. You know, my practice wasn't a very good use of time. I mean, now, if I think about how I use time now in terms of practice and learning something, I'm far more effective than I was then. So I just know that a lot of that time was not well spent. And, and so hours by themselves are meaningless. Uh, it's actually how you spend those hours that matters. Um, so, you know, that's one thing. But to become a musician as well, I mean, you've got to be interested in something outside yourself. 
And the greatest artists were there to seek what it was the composer was trying to say. It's not saying me, me, mm. me, never. It's about how do I look for greater and greater depth in what that composer was trying to say and communicate. I'm a vessel through which that composer is speaking. If it becomes about, this is me speaking, and you, 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 know, you want to hear my voice, um, mm. that's not the most important thing. And of course, um, in the end, the way they explore somebody else's vision, the composer's vision, will of course, relate to who they are themselves as a person and as an artist and as a human being. But the fact is, if all they're doing is using the composer as a vehicle for themselves, that will mm -hmm. almost certainly not be a great experience. Um, if they are using themselves as a vehicle for the composer and what the composer wanted to say, that is actually what is being an artist. Um, so, you know, at least that's my view. Um, so like everything, I mean, we were talking earlier, I mean, about the whole thing, if, you know, if you're all about yourself, then really you haven't got much to offer other people. And in the end, the real rewards of life are in terms of contributing to the lives of others. And, and that's where you're not seeking something for yourself and the irony, and that's why I said I think so much in life is oblique. The irony is that by actually ceasing to con concentrate on yourself and thinking about others, your own life will become more fulfilling as well. So again, as, as you said, the, I just want to distill it, lest people miss it. Your point about what makes a great artist, a, a great musician, is that willingness and that, that, that commitment to, to reach beyond yourself, to reach into another person's mind, right? To reach into the composer's vision, to reach for something outside right. of yourself, into the other person. Right. And that to me, well, my perspective finding, in this show is... It's, it's, it's the finding um, what it is the composer, you know, seeking and searching for what the composer was trying to say. Now, the interesting thing about art as about life is it's never about destinations. You never get there. It's always a search. It's never mm -hmm. a destination. And mm -hmm. so, yes, I mean, you're perpetually seeking what it was the composer was trying to say. You go layer by layer. You go deeper and deeper. But you never reach a final answer. It's always mm -hmm. still seeking answers um, and seeking deeper and deeper. And it's why great musicians will usually say to you, you know, if I've been working on a piece and playing it for a year and I've really feel as though I've gone as I've stretched myself to the limit. What I'd want to do then is put it away for a year and then I'll come back and suddenly I'll find there are other layers I can then begin to see. Um, but I can only see them by stepping away and then coming back again, um, mm -hmm. you know, with a new fresh look, but it is this eternal journey of exploration. Mm -hmm. And that totally applies to the art of living, to the business of living as well. Of course. I that that agree. continual searching and that curiosity and that willingness to for, for empathy as well. And, you know, just again, my free association here is I see that in my work, you know, with individual patients as well. And that the cases where I consider um, a quote unquote great success when I feel like I, I've gone somewhere with my patients is where 
the person doesn't say, oh, I got it, you know, um, now I know what to do, now I figured it out, but where the person has a sense of wonderment about her life, about what more can I find out, you know, what, what, what more can I think about, and huh, what about this, what about that, so... It's um, Absolutely. it applies across the board. Yeah, yeah. I agree. The, I agree. Yeah. So, but again, you know, as I listen to you and I, I compare all of what that you're saying to what is currently going on in the culture. For example, what you said about it's never about the destination; it's the journey, it's the process, right? It's not. It's not the outcome. Everything about our culture, Clive, I think, is conspiring. To encourage us to to want the destination. I mean, you're correct in as much as I think we're very simplistic in that way. You know that we think, but then that's the same thing as talking about fame or success or all these things, as if those are the destination. I mean, a they're false, they're false gods. Um, you know, and they're they're not meaningful destinations in their own right. I personally don't think. Um, but secondly, I think we we also tend to think in life, uh, about life far, far too much, um, you know, as if one should be seeking destinations, whereas to me, the thrill of life is that it's an eternal exploration, not that you actually reach any conclusion. I mean, it's even when one thinks about how, you know, here, when we develop a project, we'll ask questions and, you know, we'll look at it as and be as tough on ourselves as we possibly can be, trying to come up with the best answers. And I learned this at the very beginning because when I went into management, um, I was a musician and from one day to the next I moved from being a musician to being a manager. And obviously I knew absolutely nothing. So all I could do was ask questions. And what I've become very clear about is you ask questions and at some point you feel you've really been as tough as you can be, you've asked all the questions and then you're in a position to make a decision. You make a decision, but... If you think that's the end of it, you're absolutely wrong. Because in another month, a year, six years, one, you know, whatever, an hour, you may learn things that mean that actually you've got to review your decision because your decision was based on the facts at that point that you knew. The facts will always grow and develop and the world will change. So one's, in other words, got to have always a perpetually open mind um, to the fact that however good a decision was, it is probably not valid after a certain period of time because there are new facts and facts have changed and life has changed. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think it's the fact that, you know, every single thing about life is an eternal exploration and an eternal questioning and and an eternal never being satisfied. Um, The minute you're satisfied, um, that's, you know, another answer to your question. You know, is an artist ever satisfied? The simple answer is no. Any artist Mm -hmm. who is satisfied and thinks they've arrived, I can't even be bothered to listen to anymore. Um, Because uh, great artists have never arrived. Um, You know, all they've done is reached a certain point where they're questioning. I'll give you a fantastic example. I mean, Mm -hmm. one of the people I most admired in life, um, who unfortunately now is dead, is Mr. Slav Rostropovich, the great cellist and conductor. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he was also a great pianist. He was so many things. But I remember talking to him about the Bach Suites. Now, his view was that one will never, ever be ready to record the Bach Suites. And, and so, but when he was about 65, he thought, I, and he'd been offered by recording companies big, big sums of money to record the Bach Suites, the six Bach cello suites. Um, and he always refused. 
And because he said, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. I mean, loads of people record it when they're 21. Uh, (laughs) I mean, he was 65 and he knew he wasn't ready yet. Um, Mm -hmm. The greatest cellist possibly who ever lived. Um, And in the end, he thought, well, I... I must record them whilst I can still physically play as well as I can play, um, you know. And so what he didn't do was take up the offer from the recording company to record them. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to search for the perfect space to record these. So he, he looked for a church where he could record them because he thought that was the right place to record them. In the end, he found a little church in France, and then he engaged a recording engineer, a video engineer. He recorded, engaged the whole team, and he told me he was going away to now work on them and record them. So what he did was he just kept playing, kept playing, kept working on them, recording everything until he felt he'd done the best he could do at that moment in his life. And then he listened to them and decided on, you know, what the recording was that might be issued. But the reason he wanted to do it himself and not with a recording company was if at the end of it, he was not satisfied that it was something that should be put out, he would then just burn the lot and destroy it all. Um, You know, because he didn't feel he should be under any obligation whatsoever to put this performance out or these performances out. Now, that takes incredible integrity, um, incredible humility, and, mm-hmm. and that is something one should learn from. And, you know, in the end, they were put out. They were a huge success, and a recording company did put them out, but he would only record them under those conditions. And then you, you get so many people who are perfectly happy and think, oh, great, yeah, I'd love to record the bath suites at 21 or 20, you know, when somebody offers me the, um, you know, some money to record them. Um, and you compare that with Rostropovich's humility mm-hmm. in the face mm-hmm. of that extraordinary music. Mm-hmm. It, the, the, the humility to know what you don't know, what you can't reach for, but that's also coupled with the tenacity Right, and the reverence for the thing that you are trying to reach for and not give up. Absolutely. And not reduce it. Yeah. Um, can I switch a little bit before before we end? You mentioned something about finding yourself earlier, about finding yourself and being happy. What makes you happy in this life? I think in the end, I mean, what I always think makes people happy, and certainly what makes me happy, is firstly, always being on a quest in life. I mean, never, never feeling you've arrived anywhere, but always being on a quest, uh, you know, and, and the quest should be based, I mean, for me, as I said, the, the sea change for me when I started becoming what I call happy, and I mean, I genuinely think I am happy now. I mean, I really love life, and I really enjoy life enormously, which I did not, um, even through my 20s. Um, you know, even though I was in the London Symphony Orchestra and I was doing a job that lots of people would say, what a fantastic job, I don't consider that I was a happy person then because I think too much of my life was, was based around me. And, mm-hmm. you know, but since becoming a manager and, and getting into something where I find all I'm thinking about is how can we do things that actually contribute to other people's lives. To me, it's the combination of how you fulfill your talent. And, and after all, I was never remotely interested in being a manager. Um, It was something I knew I did not want to do. I thought I wanted to be a musician. So I've ended up in something that I hadn't the first idea that I had a talent for. And in fact, I knew I didn't have a talent for. 
um, you know, and, and I've found that, you know, that actually all of us have talents we have no idea about. I think every human being has no conception of what they're capable of, um, that they're capable of so much more than they realize. So it's keeping an open mind, it's exploring, it's actually doing things, responding to challenges in such a way that you suddenly discover the things where you do have a talent that it hadn't occurred to you, you have one. Um, but essentially using all of that energy and all of that and all of your talents to do things that actually transform other people's lives. And so that in the end for me is what happiness is about. But I mean, there's no formula and it's not something you seek. I mean, yeah, and, and it's one of the things that really bothers me about the way people talk in America, um, that people talk about the pursuit of happiness <laughs> as if the pursuit of happiness is meaningful. To me, it's an utterly meaningless pursuit. Um, you know, that you don't find happiness by pursuing happiness. Um, so, you know, to me, it's a, yet another yeah. one of those things where people are being so simplistic about something, which is far, far more profound than that. Yeah. Yeah, but just you wait, Clive. They will come up with an app that would deliver happiness at the tip of the finger. Well, it won't you know, deliver well, happiness. It may it may <laughs> deliver an, an illusion of happiness for a while, but that's not deep or profound or meaningful. I mean, it can be superficial. I mean, I'm happy yes. when my team wins a football match. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm happy, but I'm happy for a few minutes. I mean, it's not profound. It's not particularly meaningful. Um, you know, there's lots of things that deliver moments of happiness. But that's completely for different from feeling deep down that you're involved in something that actually gives meaning to your life. And that's not about you. That's about contributing to others. You know, it, it reminds me of a conversation I had with an 80-something-year-old psychoanalyst who um, goes around uh, Asia doing work uh, with psychoanalysis. And I asked her a similar question, you know, about uh, about her life, her living, the success of her living. And she said it comes down to saying yes, being willing to say yes to life, to things that are unknown to you, unfamiliar, or that scare you. And what you just said just now reminds me of that, you know, the willingness to say yes, to be open, and and to be brave, and to go outside of yourself. Um, But we're coming to a close, Clive, and I, all I can say is I'm so glad you said yes to me, to my invitation. Well, well, look, I've I've really enjoyed our conversation, but I mean, I, I should just say, Happiness can also involve knowing when to say no as well. <laughs> uh, well, that's a whole other beast. <laughs> well, it's All a whole right, other then. beast. But I mean, the fact is, too often people say yes to something because of the money rather than because exactly. it actually is something that matters. Yeah. So I think one just as important is knowing when to say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, and that's where integrity and value, you know, and, and, and honesty comes in. But um, we have to close. And um, thank you, Clive, for being here. And I will look for you and all the wonderful talents that you offer at Carnegie Hall uptown. And to you all out there, I wish you the ability to say yes to all that life has to offer. And uh, you can find well, me here uh, again next Thursday. Bye bye for yeah. now. Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.